Hello and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. I'm Paul and I'm here with Gar. That is me. I believe it's him. And today we are doing um, an episode called Dumtish, which is an episode about our favorite drummers. We like not, drummers. Not the best technical no, drummers in no. the world, but our favorites. Exactly. Some of our favorites. And to be honest with you, I didn't think too long and hard about this because I just went, you know no. what? I will just pick the first five off the top of my head that 100%. I love listening to. Because if I start thinking about things too much, I'm yeah. taking up the whole day. 100%. Can't be doing that. 100%. And if you came here for Bonham versus Moon, don't listen to this. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. Not getting, not getting uh, yeah, we, we, we said we said we're just going to pick five drummers that we really, really like for whatever reasons. Um there might be reasons that are like deeply personal to us as in like you know first proper band we got into um or the first drummer that we paid attention to or whatever maybe they've done something a little bit different um yeah. again these are all technically gifted drummers not gonna be wrong they're in big bands they're, they're known you know um yeah. but they're not as you said they're not the bonhams that type of shit you know um we're also we're, in, we're not drummers so these are the drummers that stood out to us for whatever reason i'm a little bit of a drummer like yeah, i have a drum kit yeah. yeah i have a drum kit yeah. i have an electronic I, I, drum I, I kit and all that but I like, struggle with writing drums. Struggle with writing them. I can't I, play them. Like, but I, I struggle writing with writing them. them. I can't write it. Yeah, because it's it's not it's not an instrument that like a bassist could write a guitar line, vice yeah. versa. If they were stuck, yeah. everyone could write a keyboard line if they just learned how to do it. Fucking drums are a different thing altogether. It's like yeah. vocals; they're not really an instrument. Exactly, they are their own complete. Yeah, well, percussion for a start, and the other one is voice. But that's why they just don't. They are just on their own thing altogether. There's also the, the, the stumbling block of like timings and shit like that that are slightly different yeah. for drummers. And like you, you play a guitar riff and you go like, just all you want to hear when you're playing with a drummer, all you want to hear is a because like, <laughs> yeah. that makes the guitar sound savage. But the drummer wants yeah. to do mad shit and you're like, stop doing mad shit, will you? No one actually wants yeah. to hear you, man. Uh, like, also, <laughs> the, the reason there's like... This drummer, hard drummer is hard to come by. A good drummer, sorry, hard drummer is easy to come by. <laughs> a good drummer is hard to come by, and I think it's because just like it's one of the most expensive instruments in the band, and one of the most lumbersome and hard to bring around and set up and all that stuff. And it is physically, physically the most demanding. Oh, so it's bitch. There's, yeah. there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of downsides to being a drummer, as well as that. Do they get the, they're the butt of a lot of jokes they are the butt of a lot of jokes and they're kind of at, at the back of the stage and you know yeah. and, and there's always like this thing where like the entire band depends on the drummer you know what I mean the band will only ever yes. be as good as their drummer is like that's just a fact you get away with a gammy guitarist or a gammy bassist even a shitty singer but if your drummer is shit it's over like unless well, they're willing be, to like just you, get better all the time you can just be, you can get away with being decent and doing the job. Yes, 100%. You can get away with being brutal. Like you'll you, never, you yeah, you'll never get away with being shit. And you will that's, with bass and guitar and singing. 100%. That's something that used to happen a lot in the olden days when they would come in and sign a new band. They go, that drummer, gone. Ew. And they'd be like, Ew. what? Even if he was decent. Like, yeah, yeah, get, get, get like, rid of him. No, no, no. Yeah. We, we, we need a board or we need a fellow with long hair or whatever. Yeah. No, we just need someone that can, like the, the drummer was usually the one to get cool. Sometimes a second guitarist. Uh, but like the songwriter and stuff would stay, and but they'd look at the drummer and go, "Is he going to be able to pull exactly off solid beats every night?" And for now the next get, get five years, will we bleed yeah. them fucking dry? So, so that that did happen a lot. And when it came to the studio, a lot of producers go, "This guy is not good enough to be in your band," and it would get back to the manager, manager, and get back to the the yeah. label and get rid of them, and they got replaced. It's happened a lot. Oh, and yeah, then you yeah. get these amazing drummers like these ten drummers that we're about to mention here. Yes. So, without further fucking around who's your first uh, uh, your fa of your favourite drummers one of my favourite drummers of all time is Danny Schuler from Biohazard uh, yeah. Biohazard one of the first bands where I actually pe started paying attention to the drumming um, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that as well you go holy shit the drums are a thing <laughs> exactly Drum, like, he, he made the drums like their own type of character which I hadn't heard in bands because like, I'd been listening like Biohazard had been around for years, but realistically, here in Ireland, it was state of the world address when people start copping on, you know, which would have been around the same time as like the Judgment Night soundtrack and shit like that. It, it was the toured album in when people start going like, what in the name? What's this? Because they were one of the first bands that merged like metal and hardcore and hip hop. There was nothing else that sounded like them, you know? And uh, I remember hearing like the title track state of the world address going like, that is absolutely outrageous. Like, how how is that thing? Like, this is everything I like. 
in one yeah. band, you know. Um, now it didn't last for much longer because after this album, it, it all went to shit. Like one, some of the maddest, maddest tales in the history of rock and roll associated with Biohazard. And I think we're going to keep that for another podcast because we're just talking okay. about, about drummers. <coughs> um, I want to do a podcast called Controversy. And it's just about mad shit right. that got yeah, yeah. people and bands in trouble. Doing, I was thinking about doing something like that as well. I couldn't figure out an angle for it, though. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a couple. There's been a couple of bands where like some absolutely insane shit has happened to people in the bands, and those stories deserve to be told. But anyway, going back yeah. to Danny Schuler. Danny Schuler wasn't even the original drummer in this band, but he was. He only missed out on being the original drummer by like a year. So they started in 1988, and I think Danny Schuler joined in maybe 1989. You know what I mean? So it wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, Schuler and uh, Graziadi, who's the g- kind of guitarist and second vocalist after Evan Seinfeld in in this era, um, uh, Billy would have been the guy who kind of more high-pitched vocals. They opened up a recording studio, which was originally called Rap Piss Studios, because the two of them had an interest. <laughs> they had this interest in kind of production and, and demoing their own stuff, because they were spending a fortune going to um, going to proper labels and um, getting the, the money that the labels were spending on these records and EPs and singles for them weren't matching the output that they were they were getting. You know, they were like, what they're spending like a hundred grand on this album, and it sounds the same as the one we spent two grand on. You know, so mm-hmm. they were like, let's open up a studio. So eventually, they changed the name of it because nobody wanted to go to a studio called Rapist Studios because it was down a lane apparently that was full of rapists. So they changed the name of it and called it like something fairly generic like underground sound something like that and uh, they start mm. doing demos and all this uh, type of stuff and uh, fun fact i sent for our first ever 20 bulls album i sent raw foils off to danny Schuler and billy gratzity um to get them to do a remix to see if they were they would actually do the mix of the album for us and i yeah. sent them off the raw foils for one song and i got back uh, about three weeks later i got back this like kind of mix that was just honest to god one of the worst things i've ever heard in my entire life it was, it was dog shit. It should have they should have called the studio dog shit studios, not rapid studios. It was so bad, it oh. was so bad. It was all over the. He'd added like keyboards and all in. It was so bad. I can't describe how terrible. Did you just ask for a mix? Just a quick mix, <laughs> just to see. Like I just sent the raw stuff over, saying like, "Do us a favor." Um, we're thinking about sending you over all the foils to, 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 to mix them in your new studio. Um, here's one song. Do us a quick, you know, one night or on it or whatever, you know, put put an hour or two into it. Here's all the raw foils. And he sent me mm. the show back two weeks later. And he'd obviously put loads of time into it. And it was fucking shocking. I still have it somewhere on some old hard disk. I'll dig it out at some stage. It's really yeah. bad. Um, but Danny Schuler had this... For me, Danny Schuler is like the king of the halftime kind of beat where he's able to go from like that kind of rage and metal kind of not necessarily blast beats he does those as well but those kind of up-tempo up-tempo 4-4 uh, kind of bish boshes into this kind of half-speed stomp you know that happens absolute makes, crunch. that's the bit where you make that face that exactly <laughs> oh the grimace oh oh <laughs> like someone's took that thumb up your ass oh jesus that bit um he's the king of that as far as i'm concerned um and that's evident in almost every single boy everybody song. loves that I don't care what anyone Absolutely. says. Everyone loves that halftime. Oh. oh, it's just it's the greatest. He's the, he's the, he's just the king of it. You know, just the the royal symbol, the kick and the snare. Just and it's got, he's going so hard. I want to play a little bit. I'm going to play a little bit of down for life. Um, cool. This is probably not the great example of that half speed stomp, but you'll hear it. You'll hear a bit of it uh, in here. Like that alternation between the yeah. the roid and the china symbol is uh, yeah, on the half speed stomp. It's just oh god almighty, and it's not even recorded that well. Just for the era, it's fine, but by, by today's standards, it's real muddy and kind of it, it almost like uh, Biohazard's color was orange. It was like orange and everything. It fucking sounds orange to me. I listened to that much Biohazard <laughs> when I was like, when I was a young fella. Like their music literally sounds orange to me. And uh, but Schuler just had this. He's a super technique. He's got a lovely swing. Uh, even when he's just doing like a normal 4-4 kind of backbeat while the instruments are 
doing the thing and the, the verse is happening. Like he's always just got this little, almost like a shuffle to it that just makes the kind of your ears prick up a little bit. Like he's not just keeping time this prick. He's trying to yeah. add something in without taking over from what's happening. Um, but like I said, he's one of the first guys to me that maybe go, oh, there's something there. There's something there, and apparently wrote uh, wrote most of the music as well. Really? Uh, yeah, wrote most of the music, most of the lyrics. Um, big, big time. Uh, that's it. Sick of it all as well. Their drummer writes all the music, all the lyrics. Uh, it's just one of those things. He's just super talented bastard, and they're like, yeah, he's yeah. really good. Let's just let let him do it. Let him do it. He wrote punishment. He can, you know what I mean. He wrote shades of grey. Let's just let him do what he wants. You know, he's one of those guys. Uh, it's but anyway, the drummer to write, write a lot of music. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a weird thing. He, I mean, he doesn't do vocals. I think he might have a microphone for the only odd kind of show because Boya has one of those original kind of shouty gang group kind of vocal bands. Because um, as as I said, they they rode the uh, kind of rode the line between hardcore and metal. They never really considered themselves a metal band. They were, um, and they never really considered themselves a hardcore band either. They kind of had their own thing. I know they had a big row with Anthrax because Anthrax were using the New York hardcore kind of logo that all the bands used, and they were kind of fighting Anthrax, saying like, "Like we're closer to these bands. If we play with all these bands, like Agnostic Front, and sick of it all, and we don't use that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what the fuck are you doing using it for? There was there was there was kind of stuff like that going on. Um, but anyway, that's Danny Shuler, one of my favourites from. Jesus, a long time back, I have to say. Going back to yeah. the first time I heard State of the World Address, which made me go out and buy Urban Discipline. The first album is kind of ropey. They got in trouble for having kind of almost white supremacist lyrics on their first album. But they came out saying, like, the reason we've done that is because we knew the Carnivore were wrapping up Pete Steele and all the boys were going on to do uh, Typo Negative, And we wanted all Carnivore's fans. So we wrote a Carnivore record. Like, the first Biohazard album is essentially... A Carnivore tribute album. I think Pete Steele was involved in helping them write lyrics as well. He was like, "You can have our old crowd because I don't want them to come come to the new band. It's not them. They're not going to follow me. So uh, yeah. let's just make Biohazard the new Carnivore." So uh, yeah, they got in trouble. Even though two of the lads, the two main guys, are Jewish guys with the stars of David tattooed in their stomachs, they were getting accused of fucking like anti 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 Semitic fucking lyrics and um, um, white supremacist lyrics and all this kind of shit. And they were literally doing it. Like that's a song is called like blue blood and shit like that but uh yeah they were just trying to win over pete Steele's fans at the time mm-hmm. anyway that's uh that's danny Schuler. who was your first one my first one is jimmy chamberlain mm. because he's one of my favorite drummers ever since i was young i knew listen to smashing pumpkins the importance of the drums that were happening in the song so i was like i don't know what it was a teenager when this was like mm. holy shit like i did i liked drummers before this we'll get into some of them later but this was like when I was like learning drummers' names in the band. Do you mm. know what I mean? Really going like, this guy's drums are over mm. there. Wait, wait, you hear this drum bit. Like that's that that was that wasn't really a thing for me growing up. Not really until Smashing Pumpkins, and I was like, listen yeah. to the pounding drums of this. So Jimmy Chamberlain trained as like a jazz drummer, which all the greats sort of kind of did. Yeah. If you think about it, it's it's like the French Foreign Legion of mm. like. Being a hard man, like mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's it's the, the the difficult route to go to being a drummer. Yeah, that and mar- that and marching band stuff. Yeah, drill like stuff. Two, yeah, two of the like ways you hear people going, "Holy shit, this is like uh, this drummer is incredible." Where do they come from? They're doing pop music now, but where do they come from? It used to be a jazz drummer. Like, all right, that makes mm-hmm. sense because they have mm-hmm. all these ideas. So he cites people like uh, Benny Goodman, Duke Ellington, Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, Keith Moon, John Bonham as major influences. We just mentioned uh, Bonham and uh, mm. Keith Moon there in his own sentence. Sorry. It's the only thing we're going to do that. Um, <laughs> in 2016, the Rolling Stones magazine named him the Rolling Stones magazine. I think it's just called Rolling Stones magazine. Yeah. Uh, ranked Jimmy Chamberlain 53 on their list of 100 greatest drummers of all time. I don't know, but whatever. Like, it, it doesn't matter to me whether he's good or not. I just I know he's one of my top 10 yes, favorites. Yes. Top five because I've picked five, so he's my top five. There you go, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So the deal with him joining Smash Pumpkins was he um, went to see them when he heard they were looking for a drummer and they were playing on stage with a drum machine and he had mad reservations about joining because he said they sounded garbage. He he said, like he said, he said the sound of the band was just awful. And even like when the Smash Pumpkins were going, I full the sound still was a bit dodgy. I think, whatever. But at the time he said, but I loved the structure of the songs. Like mm. uh, For me, as a drummer, hearing that gives me loads of scope yeah, to do yeah, stuff. Yeah. 
So he set up an audition and conversely, when he turned up, Smashing Pumpkins looked at him and went, absolutely not. <laughs> not this guy. Because he turned up with a pink shirt, stonewashed jeans, oh. yellow drums and a mullet. And they went, this, <laughs> absolutely not. But as soon as he started playing, they were like, yeah, no, he's he's the drummer. Don't know absolutely. why, but, but he is. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? It worked out. Yeah. And let's take a quick listen to what happens when it did work out. Because this is one of my favorite. Just it's so simple. Sounds simple. It's not simple. Sounds simple. This is incredible. The world is a vampire. Sent to drain. Secret destroyers. Hold you up to the flames. And why do I get for my pain? Betrayed desires. And I. It's just that tom work at the start and then introducing the snare that comes in super loud yeah and then he's the one with all the fills yeah. when billy corgan stops talking and it's nothing like like i'm sure drummer like famous drummers around the world go yeah it's grand yeah but to me that's just it. that's perfect to me that's just he's doing exactly what he should do mm. and i look absolutely love it so there's a lot to be said for like tuning your floor tom close to the kick drum isn't it like <laughs> just a little yeah, bit i don't even know much unreal. about that stuff but yeah but like having that lovely tone of snare and th is tom's tom's are one of my favorite part of the drums so oh, not yeah, when yeah. like people are just doing basic rolls all the time on them but just like that is just such percussion in mm. its most beautiful form at the start of that song i couldn't imagine him kicking off with the snare and, and kick and snare because there's loads, the loads of life left in the snare as well it's not compressed to yeah. death you can hear like a yeah, rattle at the end of it and all he's mad he's mad uh, tender with the start of the song and then yeah. the snare lets you know that something fucking is coming and then so when it good. does he's like ripping it then back to back to the toms again anyway Jimmy Chamberlain was my first one who is your next one uh, my second one is Byron McMacken who's the drummer from Pennywise cool, um, Pennywise were one of the first kind of punk bands I was introduced to I was in like third year in secondary school and I was listening to all the kind of shit that was on the radio the kind of punky uh, green days and that type of malarkey and there was a guy in my class who was still now to this, this day he was like a big time kind of goth now but back in the day he was one of these kind of pole spiky kind of punk guys and he saw, seen me listen to all these he was like a year older than me and maybe even two years one of these problem kids who was kept back in school and right. uh he, he saw me listen to him like Green Day and fucking Blink-182 and whatever the fuck. And he was like, do you ever hear Pennywise? And he gave me a copy of the first Pennywise album on cassette. And mm. I went home listening. I was like, what the fuck is this? Because I couldn't, my brain couldn't fathom how music could be so, like at the time I thought this is, and bear in mind I was listening to like uh, metal music and stuff like that as well. Like I couldn't, re I couldn't fathom how something was so fast and so like violent. Because the metal I was listening to, I was listening to like Slayer and whatever, Megadeth and all the usual bullshit I was listening yeah. to. But it was all, like the, the violence and stuff like that in, in a lot of Slayer and uh, metal music that I was listening to in the 90s was all very kind of pre-programmed. It was very much designed to sound violent. But you could kind of tell that the lads behind it weren't really violent. Like, you know what I mean? Right. But there was something about that, the first Pennywise album in particular because it sounded like it was recorded for about 10 quid in someone's shed. And it was so fast and so abrasive, even though they were just, they were singing, they weren't roaring and shouting, you know, we're not talking kind of Black Flag or even drop or, 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 or uh, Dead Kennedy's level here, we're talking kind of 
standard enough American kind of skate punk stuff. Yeah. But as the band evolved and I started listening to more and more, I was like, these lads can fucking play, but the drummer is outrageous. Like Byron has this, he uses a, a drum company called Pork Pie. And Park Bike Drums are like kind of a, be one of the bigger small drum companies, let's say. But they kind of specialise in smaller drums. So the, the snare is a little bit smaller, the toms are a little bit smaller. And because of that, they're real right. punchy. It has a real kind of punchy kind of sound to it. And uh, he's one of these guys that's, he's always trying to do something to make it not sound bog standard. So if he has to do like a fast bit. Like, he'll try, uh, at the end of every fart, he'll try and do, like, a little little flam or a little roll or something yeah. just to kind of jazz it up, and he'll never do the same one twice. So, like, because of that, it was like... And if you're not, like, listening to that music all the time, you'll miss it because recording wise not the greatest but you'll miss the fact that he's doing weird roles and it's almost like you'd swear that they had like one microphone on the kick one microphone on the fucking snare and those two microphones are just picking up everything else cymbals and all because it's just even though it was recorded <laughs> in a proper studio it's just the drums are just the backbeat to whatever yeah. the guitars and the, vo the vocals were doing you know so uh, I'm going to play a bit of a song called uh, The World off an album called Land of the Free which is like there Jesus, probably toward a fourth album, maybe even, I think it's their fourth, but you'll hear, this isn't one of the fastest songs, nothing like that, but you'll hear every now and again, you'll hear him do some kind of cool little rolls and stuff like that, and his, his kick work to me was always, he has this real particular style where the kick drum just follows the guitar all the time, it's, it's really, really weird, have a listen to this. <laughs> That's Boyer McMacken. Uh, as I said, there's other songs that probably do more justice. So I like that song a lot. Um, yeah, it's physically demanding to play all that. Yeah, m most of their songs are kind of like around the two minute mark if you're lucky, two and a half minutes if they're, if they're going for something epic. Just full, full gig, full gig <laughs> oh, of Jesus. Yeah. Imagine. Like, with all their prog songs would be like exactly. two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so Pennywise were one of the first bands to ever sign with MySpace Records. If you remember this, their, one of their oh, biggest right. albums was an album called Reason to Believe. And uh, they were with Epitaph Records, who were kind of one of the big early 90s kind of turnaround album, uh, record labels that made everybody famous back in the day. And they were offered a deal by MySpace. MySpace went to them and said, listen, CDs are on the way out, and we think that you guys should be huge. Like, you're selling, like, maybe 50,000 records, 60,000 records, you know. You're doing yeah. all right for a little small label, but we think you guys, like, <coughs> are one of the bands that were kind of left behind when Rancid got used and Green Day and Offspring, like, you definitely should have been up there. So we're willing to, you know, if you leave your record label, join us. What we'll do is we'll do two weeks where people can download your album for free and then we'll press it up, we'll press CDs up. And they were like, oh, fuck it, yeah, we'll give it a shot. So they, had, they got half a million downloads in the first, like, two days or something like that right. of that album, which counted as sales. So... Um, they're one of the first bands to fully kind of embrace the whole concept of like giving the album away for free and then trying to make it up on the back end by selling copies of it by yeah, sell, yeah. you know going on tour with it all this kind of stuff and uh, half a million downloads in the first like day or two something, something crazy like that and uh, they ended up not sticking around the MySpace records for long because MySpace rock records didn't stick around for long at all yeah. um, I don't even know who else I couldn't tell you one other band aside the MySpace records I couldn't <laughs> tell you um, I don't know whether the experiment experiment was a failure for MySpace or whether it was a success. I couldn't tell you, but they ended up. I think they went back to Epitaph or something like that. Um, but let Tom do this just once off, and then went right, Tom. That's never again. Maybe I don't know. Um, I know that you can buy copies out on vinyl now, and I worth a few bob um, just because they were MySpace records. You know, buying buying a, a um, piece of vinyl that has yeah. that logo on it is is kind of a big deal. Um, mm. But yeah, uh, uh, Boyer McMacken for one of the, is one of those guys that kind of makes flamboyant stuff sound all right you know some drummers do yeah. like 
too many fills and too many rolls. Like, oh, for fuck's sake, get over it. He does it in such a way that it sinks in and, and whichever way he, he works the recording as well, he always makes sure it's like, let's not let's not have those toms just fucking booming out. Like, let's, let's sink them in here. You have to be properly listening to kind of get the full effect of what I'm trying to do. We want the snare and the kick and the cymbals. That's that's the driving kind of heart of the song. But like when you have your headphones on and you have the volume up on your stereo at home, I want people to be able to hear all the kind of cool shit I'm doing. He's very interesting. Yeah. And like, and again, again, these guys have been going since 1988, so he's no spring chicken. Even when this came out, you know, which would have been the late 90s, early 2000s, and the dude would have been... Jesus, nearly in his 40s, you know. Um, so to be pulling stuff off like that at an age like that, I, I love him. Um, yeah, a lot yeah. of drummers in that genre will kind of struggle struggle just to keep that, that kind of going for an entire song. Um, and he, he does it in his sleep. Doesn't bother mm. him. He, he'll do it till the day he dies and make it sound interesting. But that's Byron McMacken. Uh, who's your next one? My next one is... Janet Weiss from Slater Kenny. Deadly. So, Dig Me Out from 1996 is the first song that she drummed on with Slater Kenny, and they were so blown away by the beats that she came up with. They were just like, okay, yeah, you know, no, horror, horror. It's deadly. This is great. This one. It's great. Yeah, this, this song, Dig Me Out, that we're going to play in a minute. Um, I love the way she plays drums because she does what all of my all-time favorite drummers do. Two things, right? The first mm-hmm. thing is fill the brief, do exactly what the song is required of you. And then after that, do something a little bit more, not more that will take away. Yeah. yeah. Something that is like, Ooh, that little groove. I wasn't expecting that, but everything is definitely, all the boxes are definitely being checked, checked with the song. Mm. They're not, they're not doing anything. Like there's some drummers I know in some songs where they overdid it. Mm. It's like, ah, Jesus, we all know them. Like, but this is my favorite drummer is like, Basically, some people go, my favorite drummers are the ones that just keep it simple. I'm like, yeah, no, not for me. My ones are the ones that fill the brief of the song, do everything they have to in that song perfectly, but then add something that you weren't quite expecting. Yeah, definitely. Not playing it, overplaying the song, just something really, really clever. Mm. Because drums can be be clever. They can be really, really clever in the song. I think it's, it's, like I said, it's really, really hard to find um, good drummers. And I think the difference between a good band and a great band is usually the drummer and the singer. Absolutely. Uh, and you know what I mean? Great guitarists. Yeah, they're brilliant. But a lot of my favorite bands, I think you're the same, are not hung on the guitarist ever, mm-hmm. really. Not really. Like unless, no. unless they're just, the, the riffs are, are mind-bendingly good that the rest of it doesn't have to be good. Yeah. But let's, let's play this song now because I, I really, really, really like this song. really hard to pick a, a song yeah. for Janet Weiss when it's more the how solid the whole body of work was yes so we don't have time for the whole body of work of Slater Kenny uh today unfortunately but um Kerry Brownstein uh, described her as one of the most musically intelligent people I know and I love when you hear a drummer who is musically intelligent knows Absolutely. everything that's happening in the song yep. and what needs to be done at that time and then like I said a bit of spice thrown on top of that um that's Janet Weiss from Slater Kenny. Who is your next one? My next one is Igor Cavalera. Had to do it. He's great though. I had to do it um, <laughs> from Sepultura. Uh, a lot of my band, all my bands are kind of in the the rock or metal arena. Just for me, uh, that's where 
in, in the rock arena, let's just call it guitar music, rock rock fucking arena. Yeah, I'm looking uh, at the list now, they all are, yeah. Yeah, but this, it's, this is, of course. Exactly. Well, first of all, that's one of our core kind of cornerstones of what yeah. we listen to, but also it's weird drummers showing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'd love to have picked like some uh, 40s jazz drummer that's that's influenced everyone, but I, I wouldn't be honest. I, exactly, I'd be that. lying. And I, I, I listen to loads of that music, I couldn't tell you who, I, who any of them are. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I'd often have stuff like that on the background when I'm and doing stuff in the gaff. I couldn't tell you who yeah. any of the musicians are. And if any drummers listening, you got a whole podcast of drummers, that's all they're getting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the things we want people to do is, is tell us who their favourite drummers are as well. So make sure you, you yes. post up about that. So yeah, Igor Cavalera, uh, lasted in Sepultura from 1984 to 2004. Uh, he, uh, he, he lasted, outlasted his brother, Max, who had left a couple of years before him. Um, he actually played, played on Solbax's album from Dewey as well and toured with them. Uh, toured with Solwax for a while. He's, he's uh, also DJs on the side. Yeah, from Solwax. Yeah, played with Solwax for a while. Um, seems to have a mad interest in everything, like all things musical, like kind of heavy music as his bag, but he likes everything. He DJs on the side. I think he has an electronic band. I think he's involved in a hip hop group as well. Um, when I heard KSAD for the first time, my little mind was blown. Right, it was just blown. Uh, that someone could make trash metal songs sound so kind of dark and tribal. And, and tribal is a word, it, it's almost overused when it comes to Sepultura. Um, but, like, in an era of, of insane bands, like, that were putting out crazy good albums, KSID, to me, is, a, is among the few at the top of that pile. Like, I wore that thing out. I wore yeah. it out, wore it out on tape, wore it out on CD. I could not, get enough of it and a big part of that was the drumming um as i said earlier i was listening to kind of punk i was listening to metal i was listening to all this kind of stuff and every now and again there was something that just reared its head up and went like i'm a bit extra spicy and you should have just a little listen more to what i'm doing here because i was listening to like you think about metallica and you've got like your kind of bog standard kind of crashes and little rolls the kind of build ups and stuff and it was fun and they suit with the songs and all that kind of shit but can you like imagine the type of stuff that Igor Cavalera was doing with Sepultura like can yeah. you imagine that type of drumming with any sort of any other band because I, I, I can't see it working you know I, it's, I that, it, it's that it's that percussion that comes with the bass guitar exactly well. like he, he's kind of not overly fixated on just the snare kick kind of snare kick and, and hi-hat kind of motion and things like that's there but there's always he's always looking to fill something in to find some hole in the music where he can fit something kind of yeah. doomy in that, that works drummers are always fighting for that that little like oh, I said yeah. that little just, just something. <laughs> something exactly in there. just something in there I'm going to play a little bit of uh, Slave New World just so people can hear what I'm talking about He's literally playing crazy. So, there's a big thing with drummers. Like, this is something I only found out from like being in studios and stuff like that and talking to sound engineers that like they properly tune drums. Like, it's not just it's not just like like bing bong bong. Oh, that sounds kind of cool. They're like, okay, they want to tune the kick drum to like if you're playing in drop D on your guitar, they want to try and tune that kick drum to drop D. You know mm. what I mean? And then it moves up. 
So like from your floor tom to your rack toms and stuff like that. So like what they're trying to do is they're trying to find that when they do weird little kind of flams and rolls and, and and little drum solos and even just kind of tom work that it's in it, it sits in there so well that they can they're able to mess with it then if they need it to kind of be a little bit more punchy they can kind of compress it and, and stick stick its head up a little bit more but Smart, once it's yeah. kind of in tune they can almost do anything with it and they can detune it then and then obviously you've got a lot of drummers use triggers um, the last kind of yeah. 20 years triggering has been a big deal and uh, it's not seen as cheating because it's not it's really not like the lads are still playing they're 100% still playing but instead of like what they're doing is they're taking yeah, I don't, I don't see any different. I don't see any different than using distortion pedals. Uh, yeah, it's Just yeah, it's, it's almost the sound the exact like you're same playing. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like the, the, for people that don't know, triggers basically it's like a tiny weird little microphone that they clip onto every single part of the drum kit, and when you hit say the snare, it, it will it will they'll have a microphone on it and they'll record your snare, but that other little microphone will trigger the sample of a really nice snare. So basically, they're playing almost an electronic drum kit as opposed to the real one. But a lot of the time what they'll do is they'll record the real one as well and they'll find kind of ways to blend and mix the two That's sounds saying, together. Lo- live you're getting both, right? Almost certainly, yeah. yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of the time. What you'll do is uh, you'll see like monitors and stuff like that and uh, I think a lot of the time the stuff on stage they're hearing is it raw and the stuff that's going out then will be a mix of the two, you know. Um, but it depends on the setup for the band as well, really and truly. It also depends. Some rigs aren't really shit hot. Depends on how much money the band have. Some, like, trigger rigs aren't really shit hot at pumping out those sounds, like, picture yeah. perfect as well. So a lot of times what they'll do, you'll see some drummers will have, like, a couple of extra toms that are triggered. Right. So they'll have, like, you know, two normal toms, and then we have three smaller toms sitting on top of them, and they'll be triggered. And they'll use them for other things, you know. Um, yeah. And they'll, you'll see sometimes they'll have a little control bay where they can turn on and off the triggers. Like the drummers are getting like plugged into the matrix a lot of the times, you know. There's an awful <laughs> lot of stuff going on. And then you'll see a lot of them have like those kind of '80s Foursquare pads as well, kind of sitting in the middle, and they'll trigger yeah. weird samples and stuff, you know. Like maybe they've got two songs where they need a crash symbol, or sorry, yeah, a China symbol. So instead of putting a fucking China, let's just trigger a China. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're we're, we're traveling like. From Thailand to exactly. Australia, thing I can't be bringing those. It has to, everything has to fit in a forty foot, including the fucking go- <laughs> goat's heads that squirt out blood. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. So Max just has this weird, it's a particularly unique style that's not over the top. But like the second you hear it, like they could come out with a new Cavalier conspiracy song tomorrow, and before Max starts singing, you'd know it was Cavalier conspiracy just from the way. Igor Cavalier plays. He has a very, very distinctive style. And yeah. uh, I was bald deep and as a young fella. I, I, they lost me after Roots. Even Roots, to be honest with you, I'm a bit eh, sometimes on. Um, it's it's go- got great songs on it, but it's not a great album. Yeah, Chaos AD was the last great one for me. Um, who's your next one? My next one is... I often cite him as my favourite drummer, but that changes. But look, this is the top five, so we'll say mm. it for now. Uh, Ginger Baker. Just oh, yeah. love... Just love the way he plays drums. And yeah. it's mostly, I think, to be honest with you, the way that he, maybe he demands it or just the way it works out that his drums are recorded. Mm. They're always Tom heavy. And I love, like I said earlier, I love the Toms. But the Toms are always mixed equally loud or even louder than the main vocal. And I, I've noticed mm. this about stuff that Ginger Baker's on. It happened with Cream. Because obviously, if anyone doesn't know Ginger Baker, he's the legendary drummer from Cream yes. who joined up with adrian and paul gorvitz to make this next song about to play baker gorvitz army um it's mental that i'm not picking a cream song i know this <laughs> i get it but this is ginger baker the cantankerous drumming genius who also played with like blind faith and eric clapton solo stuff as well yeah um i've chosen an instrumental this time uh, to show him at the forefront of this song because mm. it's, it's mad. This isn't even one of my favorite Ginger Baker songs, but whenever I hear this, I go, "Oh, this is so good on this." <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna push this out as the, as the, the drum porn. Yeah, of, yeah. of this one. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, it, like I said, the t- the toms are normally mixed louder than the vocal. You won't hear that in this one. Yeah, naturally because it's uh, an instrumental. But mm. check this out anyway. I really, really love this band. Actually, I, I end up listening to them more than Cream, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh,
so much character in there. Just the, the, the sound of the toms. You can't hear them that much in this song, but this is just a good example. Yeah. It's really hard, it's really hard to pick examples of. It's very difficult because drumming bits, moments because yeah, yeah, like it's there's bits and there's not like full songs. But this is just I was gonna pick Inside of Me by Baker Gorbachev Army, which is a slower song but the toms are just incredible on it and mm. white room is another classic example of the cream song oh, yeah. of of uh his his style he if have you seen the documentary beware mr baker it's the one where in his house and stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah. i've seen that yeah yeah it's brilliant if anyone hasn't seen it there's a documentary called beware mr baker and it's absolutely fantastic uh so check that out as well and mm. like I don't know how many people that listen to this podcast are mad into cream. We don't really play much cream. I'm not, not really. mad, mad into cream. I've got literally two Baker Gorbach uh, Army albums on vinyl and no cream. I don't know what it is. I just I have a couple, find... of, couple of cream bits and that's it. Yeah, yeah. I just don't know what it is. Whenever I hear his drums, I just go, that's Ginger Baker because the, the toms are so clear. Yeah. And, and, and he's heavy on using them, but not heavy on the toms. You know what I mean? Like, it's just... Mm. He's got this, like, uh, you see, we're not really drummers. We can't really explain no. the style, but I, I just feel like his style is real visceral and primal. Yeah. And it's just, it's probably is, has to be rooted in some sort of jazz. To, to, and and he, I know he was crazy into like African rhythms as well later yeah. on in life. But um, I feel like uh, it's, although it's rooted in jazz, there's just a lot of playing with just pure feel mm. of his stuff. And you can mm. really tell. And he's a lunatic. He was he's, a lunatic. Yeah absolutely like aggressive mentalist <laughs> fucking mentalist but that was uh, that was Ginger Baker with the Baker Gorbachev Army mm. who's your next drummer my next one is Matt Byrne from Hatebreed and um, mm. one of the reasons I picked him is that I read an interview with him years ago like I, I was just assumed fucking Hatebreed like, I like a couple of Hatebreed albums yeah um, up to and including the, the, the song I put uh, Beholder of Justice was the song I picked for this off the album uh, The Rise of Brutality so pretty much everything up to this album maybe the one after it I'm, I'm, I'm with and then after it they just lose me they lose me completely it got too too kind of heavy metally too many kind of solos and widdly bits. Got a bit of uh, Kerrang TV. Yeah, it just wasn't for me. Well, well, kind of before that era, it was just this fucking meathead gobshite music. And I'm a big fan of meathead gobshite <laughs> music every now and again. And yeah. um, I read an interview with Matt Bourne before, and I, I seen I seen Hatebreed play live, live choice. And I always thought, like, whatever about the lads playing guitar, because I just kind of chug it, chug it, and the riffs are bananas good. But something about that drummer I always thought something about that drummer I read an interview with him and uh, as with a lot of talented drummers he's really really into jazz and uh, one of the things he was saying in the interview was like <laughs> like he he really and truly knows his place in Hatebreed he's like I fucking know what Hatebreed are like I like I know what I'm what's required of me in Hatebreed and he said every now and again I get to like what what he what he'll try to do is he'll, I'll try and like work in some kind of cool stuff into like uh, kind of the segue between parts, you know. So if we're going from like chorus to a middle A or to a, a you know a pre verse or pre chorus, I'll try and work some little thing in that kind of spices up a little bit. That maybe the people who are interested in drumming they'll hear it and go like, oh, that's kind of cool, that's kind of interesting. Um, like he teaches drums, he's part of some sort of like drum teacher collective. Um, doesn't necessarily yeah. really listen to that much heavy music. Listens to a lot of kind of got stuff. He said, um, a lot of got hey, stuff. He's like me, yeah. Um, metal, so don't you? Not really. It's all, it's grand, yeah, but more. Yeah, um, that's me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but listens to a lot of jazz, a lot of uh, kind of got stuff. He just f- finds a lot of that kind of stuff very interesting. But uh, after reading this interview, with him, I went back and I was kind of listening to more Hebrew stuff. I was like, he is really fucking good. Like, and his his kick work. His double kick walk is just, it's just fucking bananas. It's bananas. He's just one of those guys that has it. He has that double kick kind of, yeah, that gene. So some drummers you see them struggling a little bit, you know, with, with double kick or, or two kick drums. You we see mentioned that we we know how good John Bonham's kick is. We're exactly. not leaving that out of this podcast. Exactly. People are going to think I can't believe they script. I just have this in the back of my head. <laughs> Again, talking about our favourites, and this exactly. guy's got a d- double kick, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. He actually, he, he does mention Bonham as being, uh, obviously, a big influence on him, but he does mention yeah. Bonham's uh, kick, kick drum. Mm. Um, 
Byron McMacken, who I talked about from from Pennywise, he, he was saying that like he when he was a young player, he was obsessed with with Bonham's kick drums. That's well, like, that's that, that's the that's the that's the that's the standard you're trying to get to. Well, exactly. not standard. You won't get there, but exactly but aiming for it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to play a little bit of this this song here. Just you'll, you'll hear you'll hear the uh, a few little weird kind of tumbly bits he does. You'll hear his just absolutely outrageous fucking kick drum. Like even even. If it was fucked with on a computer afterwards, which everything is, let's let's be honest, everything yeah. is. Um, I've seen him do it live, and it's yeah. it's he can do it. You can definitely hear some of that Igor Cavalera kind of tribal Tom yeah. stuff that he throws in and little fills in between just going straight back to the and then I know, little I know pauses. I know I was supposed to be listening to the drums there, that riff though. Ah, it's, it's Hatebreed's riffs that just, especially that <laughs> album. Like, concentrating the drums, well. <laughs> if you like riffs, if riffs are your thing, lads, right, go and open up the Spotify playlist and just click on the album, click on Roy's Brutality and from the start yeah. to the finish of it, it was just nipple erecting riffs from start to finish. <laughs> There's not a single song in it. We go like, oh, I don't know about that one. Every single yeah. fucking song is just riff mania. It's they do they they were they used to do this thing where every song would have every album would have an outro, and then on the next album they take that outro and turn it into like a full intro song for the next album. So you could literally just kind of like, oh, that's class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the intro to this album, which is the fourth song. Uh, I can't remember what the fuck it's called, is the outro to the album before. I think the album's called Perseverance, which is a decent album, um, which has that song that they used in fucking Triple X with, with Vin Diesel, whatever the fuck it is, um, mm. where he's snowboarding while the avalanche is behind them. I can't remember what the name <laughs> of the song is. Um, uh, but this day with Matt Bourne, it's just, he's been with the band since 2001. I think the band, this is their third album. The band have been around since like 1990 splash. Um, I think he might be their second drummer, maybe even tour drummer. Could even be later than that. I think they were one of those bands that just jumped from drummer to drummer yeah. to drummer. Uh, but he is just picture perfect. Like if you needed, if you've got those type of riffs, you're able to pull out your hole. Like entire albums of just riff mania. You need a drummer who's like that riff's fucking outrageous. How can we like double down on it and make it yeah. fucking spectacular with like me because I'm shit hot. So how am I not going to take away? <laughs> how am I not going to take away from this riff? But like, take it from like that riff is ten out of ten. How do we make it seventeen out of ten? with my savage drum, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. just that guy. He's just that guy. The fucking he's outrageous. Anyway, that's Matt Bourne. Uh, who's your next one? My next one is the song "Fire" by Jimi Hendrix. Uh, obviously, obviously, Jimi Hendrix is unreal on this song. But it's my favorite drummer when I was a kid was Mitch Mitchell. And that's who we're talking about here. Same, I uh, was obsessed this, with him for a long time. This was the first drummer ever who I went. The drums are doing mad things in this song, and I've never noticed it in any... Now, granted, growing up, I listened to a lot of pop music yeah. and dance music where the drums weren't doing mad stuff. They just weren't. Yeah. So I remember as a kid, I bought Electric Ladyland on tape when we were going down the country, and we stopped off at the shop and, like... I was I had like a Walkman or something like that. It's nice. Sorry, we all have in the eighties. I stuck this on. and I was like, holy shit, this is just so good. Did you buy like, off like a spinner rack in a shop? Did you? Yeah, it was one of those racks. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, yeah. it might have been one of the little small wall ones actually. Uh, no, yeah. no, it was definitely a spinner. It was definitely the spinner racks were in every shop in this country yeah. for a long time. Like I think it was like three pound. Yeah, they were for nothing. Like they were for nothing. Yeah. And I remember just thinking, man, like these songs are incredible. I was yeah. mad into Jimi Hendrix as a kid. Me I don't too. really listen to them much anymore. Like I don't know what it is. I just go through little belts. I go through little yeah. belts. Really. So but fucking the, good. 
the music is just incredible yeah and this was honestly the first drummer i went wow this is i'm into the drums and this yeah to the point where i went through the notes to find out who he was yeah yeah um and it's impossible to ignore the fact that he was doing other things that drummer weren't doing so like i said as a kid it's like these busy drums are for me so mitch mitchell was born in england and he was actually (laughs) a child tv star a little actor Ah. uh he actually (laughs) <laughs> yeah just like me. <laughs> just like me uh yeah i wasn't i wasn't a child when i did that. and you were born in uh, england no i wasn't no um I don't close, think so, close anyway. enough no not that close yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 20 but, minutes uh, flight away <laughs> um he this guy mitch mitchell uh auditioned for the who actually initially mm. and was torn down um and later on in his career he actually auditioned for wings ah. but didn't make the cut for that either. And if you listen to him, you'll realize why. Like, w- Wings would have been calming down when Mitch Mitchell mm. was probably auditioning for them. But um, maybe it's because of his style, which is very Mitch Mitchell-y. Let's have a listen to Fire, which is just my favorite Jimi Hendrix song, I think. <laughs> sounds so delish yeah. it's just so it's mixed really like uh high sort of yeah. eq wise i don't even know how to say that in drum terms but fizzy. Uh, it's 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 fizzy and yeah exactly yeah. it's fizzy it's cutting right through yeah. the mix like right and it's just blah, 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 and it's it's almost too busy but it's restrained right enough to you know when jimmy Hendrix comes back in singing he shuts the fuck up on the yeah. drums a little yeah. bit you know what i mean um absolutely one of my favorites still is one of my favorites whenever i listen to mitch mitchell uh it's just it's like like it's like i said almost too busy is the best way to put it yeah just enough riding the line uh, like yeah and it's a little bit showy off people fuck me i love it and yeah. it really really works with Jimi hendrix's stuff it really really does um so he went down to influence Stuart copeland from the police guns and roses matt sorum and uh queen's roger taylor mm. actually uh, said that like he was influenced highly by Mitch Mitchell. Definitely. So that's a that's a really good list of people to uh to influence and he influenced me as a child to listen to more drummers. Exactly, yeah. Definitely. So that was uh that was Mitch Mitchell. That was uh my favourite drummer up until I was like a bit older, getting into grunge mm. and stuff. But still is though. Still is one of my favourites. Who's your next one? My last one. What's your last uh, one? Uh my last one is Earl Hudson from Bad Brains. Alright. So, uh, for me, as I said earlier, I was listening to metal, listening to punk, and then kind of hardcore entered into my life, and that kind of led way then into a lot of kind of hip-hop. Hip-hop and hardcore kind of connected at the hip for some strange, weird reason. And uh, Earl Hudson, like, Bad Brains, first of all, are one of their most important bands, probably, of all time. Yeah, Um, they get... They get uh, name checked so much. Yeah, everyone. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's it's insane how much they get name checked. Yet they don't seem to be as big as they should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're talking about a band here that like an all black Rastafarian hardcore punk band in the eighties. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like it doesn't get any madder than that. Like they couldn't even tell people when they were touring. They had they couldn't have pictures of themselves because bookings would be dropped they would just show up like a lot of black dudes show up carton instruments and if any be like yeah. what the fuck who, who are you and we're like we're bad brands and we're like this is not going to turn out well tonight in this too late to cancel them exactly lads user in missouri or whatever the fuck you know what i mean so um the the, the history of bad brands again is probably one for another day but like suffice it to say that started off as like kind of Covers the kind of fun rock and roll band, 
then discovered hardcore punk said we can do that really really well so decided literally overnight um, in Washington DC we're going to be a hardcore punk band listened to a lot of the bands that were doing the rounds and said like let's just be better than them and like by the next gig we're pumping out absolute bangers and destroying venues we're getting banned left right and centre every venue they played in was getting kicked they were getting kicked out of told never to come home decided to move to New York City and when they were in New York City this is when the lads kind of start getting properly into the reggae aspect of things they've been living a kind of a rasta life but they start getting interested in reggae now in particular Earl Hudson Earl Hudson the drummer and his brother HR who's the singer of Bad Brains they were very very interested in the reggae and the things so they start mm. pushing they were like why don't we like start doing more and more reggae stuff and the rest of the lads were like nah man we, we think we should become like a metal band let's just be a mad metal band like we've done punk we've done hardcore Let's go balls to the wall here. Let's become a fucking metal band to blow everybody's minds. Right. And the lads were like, Earl and HR were like, no, I think we're just going to, we're just going to fuck off. How about that? You do your own thing and we'll fuck off and start a reggae band. So they've done that. So Bad Brains had to bring in um, a guy called Taj, who I don't know, Taj Singleton, his name was, as a singer. They brought him in and they brought in Mackie Jason, who was the drummer from Chromax, would later go on to become the drummer from the Fun Loving Criminals and Madball oh, and all right. sorts of shit. So <clears throat> these two lads came in and they recorded an album called Quickness. Now, before the album was properly released, HR and his brother Earl were like, oh, the reggae thing's not really working out for us. So why don't we come back to Bad Brains? So they came back in, but the album was about to be released, so they ran back into the studio. HR had a notepad to scribble down a load of bollocks and sang, deleted your man Taj's vocals that he'd been working on for ages, deleted them, put his stuff down and released the album. They left Mackie's drums on it and yeah. uh, released the album, and it's, it's a pretty famous fucking Bad Brains album. Like Without HR's influence of wanting to do reggae and kind of keeping it, that kind of straightforward punk uh, style, it done really, really, really well for them. Then they start getting invited to, I think they were invited to join Madonna's record label and um, Adam York from 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 Beastie Boys, who was obsessed with with Bad Brains, who played with them before and shit like that. Um, he decided to produce an album, so he produced an album called Build a Nation for them. Then that HR and Air left again because they wanted to try reggae and the whole thing is just <laughs> a, is a fucking nightmare. The band's history is an absolute nightmare. But Earl Hudson is one of the guys who, without a shadow of a doubt influenced that kind of speed precision drumming like he could turn on a fucking dime like the songs would just stop and start and stop and start and then go in a completely different direction at a different tempo like it's like i i i've been saying this for years that i wholeheartedly think that one of the biggest influences on fate no more was bad brains um, oh, i don't think it's i don't think you can even argue <laughs> because like even the second time that uh, that hr left chuck mosley joined the band chuck mosley was yeah. the singer from bad brains for like a year and a bit but just the way the songs are put together not necessarily like the style of the songs but the way fight no more were kind of known for like kind of stop and turn and we'll hit you with something different we'll hit you with like the the kind of the slow waltz part and then we'll go into the fucking you know the, the big fucking angry bit like bad brains were doing this before anybody else i'm, I'm gonna play uh, Oi Against Oi of Bad Brains which is probably not again not the greatest example of either a Bad Brains song even though it's amazing or Earl Strumman but uh, it, might, it might do the job <laughs> Song, Jesus Christ! I just love listening to Bad Brains. <laughs> it's just love, so good. 
Just, I don't know what oh. other way to say it. I love listening to Bad Brains. Whenever they come on, I'm like, I'm enjoying every bit of this. It every sounds like they don't give they don't give a shite what is mm. going on. They're just no. they're they love playing this song. There could be one person listening to it or six yeah. million. They just don't fucking care. It just, it just has that. They're in their own little world playing yeah. that song. No one, no one ever came close. Like there was a million bands. Like they, they created a million bands in their wake, much in the same way like the Clash yeah. did or the Ramones did. Like they created so many bands. They tour across America, and they come back a year later, and there's a, a fucking thousand bands that sound like them. You know, but can't see, do what is good. There's a lot. I was thinking about this during the week. There's a lot of bands who are massively important. But when you go listen to the Twitter discography, you're not blown away. Like yeah. me and you would be the same listening to Sex Pistols. Yeah. We'd go through that and we'd be bored after a bit. Honestly, genuinely, I think anyway, I listen to Sex Pistols and like some great stuff on there, but there's, there's, some bands are more yeah. important than they are uh, good. 100%. But, but Bad Brains actually, you go listen to their stuff and you're like, right, they're not only important, they're also amazing as well. Like the, the, they were so good that Martin Scorsese put like one of their four singles in one of his films you know what i mean yeah. like he heard it man i never heard it like that before and like they're black what so they're, all right yeah like he, he put a song called pay to come in one of his song in one of his, <laughs> his, his his movies do you know what i mean just it was so yeah. fucking good he was like this is fucking patchy man i have to have this like yeah, it's yeah. just oh like they're incredibly important but aside from being incredibly important they're fucking fantastic that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it, it's actually quite rare. It's super rare. Yeah, like is it like like man? I can tell you, like so many, there's so many bands that are like they're the most important band for this. And you go listen to them, you go grand. Like I get it, but what came I, I after that, it was better. I get, yeah. I get, I get that with stuff like uh, Crass and stuff. Yeah, people yeah. got one of the most important bands in the world. I listen and go, all right, deadly stuff here, deadly stuff there. But on the whole, no, I think there's it's, it's you're able to be important but not have like a massively. Yeah. Super bad catalog. That's not exactly. a slight on crass. I'm just saying no. it's not yeah, as so, strong as like, when yeah. like song to song. Bad brains are up there. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. just fantastic, and they they never ever get old. You know. Uh, anyway, that was my last one. Who was your last one? My last one. Surprise, surprise! I've picked Danny Carey of Tool <laughs> on my favorite drummers list. It just I don't really want to go into a big spiel about Danny Carey because we've done it so much. Mm. But I am putting him at the end of the podcast and at the end of the playlist and what we're going to do now is listen to a bit of it and not really talk much about it i don't think there's any point we've not talked really. about danny carey so much i've seen him play with till live about six times uh watching him is an absolute pleasure that song numa that came out a while ago is now used as a drummer reaction video for every drum <laughs> teacher who doesn't know him mm. this i was going to pick that but i decided to pick this part of tempest this which is not even bananas yeah, this like this isn't even my favorite thing, but it's one of the last things that he did, and I still think it's incredible. And it's an, it's a good example of overall how he sounds. Yes. So whereas Numa would have been an amazing thing to show, or Lateralis like mm. to show like the, the technical skill, it still is in this obviously. But this is just for people that don't listen to Till. I don't know. I'm not gonna get. I can't do the Till thing where I go Danny Carey, and a half an hour later I'm still going. And then yeah. he uses these yeah. little piccolo things. Let's just let's just listen to it.
I just, I just love listening to him. He's just love a standout drummer. Is what he is. He's it's a fucking just, standout drummer. Like, he's, I, I, he's we, we talked sixty about years old. He's sixty yeah. years old and he's still playing drums like that. Like not a bother to him. We I'm not saying not a bother. When that album came out, I, I'm not a big Teal fan. I don't hate them. This is never, mm. never my bag. And the day that album dropped, and I went on Spotify and all this kind of shit. I went in a big dirty walk, and. Uh, I put it on Spotify and I listened to it on the way to where I was going and on the way back. And mm. I was like, fucking hell. Like, I, I didn't think I'd missed something because I'd listened to all those other albums fucking 20 times each. And I, yeah, I yeah. enjoyed them. But th- this one was just so... It was so active. Do you know what I mean? There was one or two bits yeah, in yeah. it that I could have done without. But there was, <laughs> as a whole, this song in particular, Tempest, was just from start to finish, I was like, fuck me. Like, I hadn't a clue what was going on. And it's very interesting. And it sounds like classic, classic tool as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. But for me, it was just, um, I, I didn't know where they were going to go with it. And it's interesting, when you listen to as much music as like me or you do, to hear something where you don't know what's going to happen next. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, that, that's kind of rare. I mean, you don't always know what's going to happen next. We have a feeling that they're going to do this. No, but it's, the, song is, the song is 15 minutes, 16 minutes long. You don't know what they're going to do in this mm. song or where it's going to go and how the transitions are going to go. But exactly. you know that whatever way it's going to go, the drums are going to make loads of sense. Yes. And it's going to foreshadow what's coming and it's going to hold it down and it's going to ease you in and out of those bits because that's what he does so uh, fucking absolutely. well. Absolutely. There's, there's no no weak link in the, in the tool yeah. fence. Like, it's just... No, everything, everything about Tool is perfect for me, but I can't be that Tool fan, so we'll stop it there. And that we'll was our, that was our favorite drummers. Favorite uh, drummers, well, whatever. Some Listen of them, some of them, some yeah. of them. Uh, some of our favorite drummers, drummers that are important to us. And uh, make sure to jump on the Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, whatever the fuck, and tell us who your favorite drummers are and why. Or feel free to disagree with us it's perfectly fine to disagree with us as well um we will be back when are we back next monday with a fresh one for you hopefully fingers Mm. crossed i went back to work you're back working it's a nightmare uh (laughs) our world just turned upside down we had so much time before this to to really plan these out and do them well now we'll figure it out again we yeah we just need to get into it get into a gallopy kind of rhythm but yeah uh again no live shows live shows are gone uh that doesn't mean you can't yeah, you don't have to stop supporting us. You can go to patreon.com forward slash lost air podcast and sign up. That's five quid a month for loads of you can listen to every single Saturday night show we put out during the entire lockdown and a bunch of exclusive podcasts and videos. Uh, if you don't want to do that, just go to kofi.com forward slash lost air podcast and you can tip <laughs> us for our work. Imagine the, imagine them sticking on something like in work, sticking on all Saturday night show, like <laughs> mental, mental, <laughs> mad. Us locked at one o'clock in the morning, like. Yeah, well, they're those they're at work at like twelve in the day. Probably just loads of people that, done that. The idea Lo- that is, mad. I, I'm into the idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, know, I know a bunch of people who couldn't just because they've got kids or whatever have to have jobs yeah, couldn't yeah. couldn't stay up late with us uh, drinking and talking in the chat room. But they would uh, knock it on going to work of a Monday or throw it on Sunday when making the breakfast. I can only imagine what that sounds like sober first thing in the morning. You know. Um, especially some of the tales Madness. that were told I batch it mad anyway folks that's it for this week see you next week with a fresh one see you later <laughs>